0: Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 23. So as most of you know, we've been coming through the gospel of Matthew together. Today we start in Matthew 23, verse 37. We're going to aim to make it to chapter 24, verse 2. Let's read this passage and then we'll pray. Matthew 23, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say... Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the great privilege of getting to read your words together as a church. God, I pray we never take it for granted. The beauty and the power and the glory of your word. God, I pray that you would come and you would be with us in the proclamation of your word. God, I pray you'd scatter your enemies. That the hearts of the saints would be built up. God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with faith. Draw us near, fill our hearts with faith. Rooted in promises, rooted in your word. Fill us with hope, God, that expects something glorious to come because of what you've said. God, give us the warnings that we need to hear. Open our eyes to the commands that you would have us obey. And God, show us Christ. Lord, reveal your glory through the preaching of your word. Until every heart confesses Christ as Lord. You are Lord, Lord. We praise you. And we ask you to help us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we need to talk a bit about the context of our passage uh, before we dig into the meaning of these verses that we just read. So our passage today, in some ways, is sort uh, sort of an end of a section. So we've been in Matthew chapters 21, 22, and 23 for a while now. And this passage today is sort of the end of that section, Matthew chapters 21 through 23. And that section really is about a judgment that's falling on Israel. Jesus pronouncing a judgment that has fallen on Israel. So I want you to think about this section, this context for just a minute. If you remember at the very beginning in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus makes his entrance into the city very clear. You remember that? Triumphal entry, riding in on a donkey, the multitudes are screaming, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord, messianic praises. There's no secret here. He's coming in as the Messiah, goes straight into the temple and starts turning over tables. That's how he enters. He clearly enters his city. And then we have a clear exit in the passage we just read just a moment ago. And in his exit of this city, he's pronouncing judgment on him. So a clear entrance in Matthew 21 and a clear final exit in our passage today in Matthew 23 and at the beginning of 24. If you think about the book in the entrance Jesus cleanses the temple. Remember that? He goes into the temple, turns over tables. He cleanses the temple. And then by the time you get to our passage today, he's proclaiming the temple as forsaken, as desolate, as empty, as abandoned. It's the beginning, it's the end. This section, Matthew 21 through 23, it has bookends of that messianic praise, right? He's coming in. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what the crowds are screaming. And then what do we have at the very last verse of chapter 23? The last thing he says to Israel. And we've got, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So you have this messianic psalm. And in that psalm, you've got, he's the stone that the builders rejected and became the chief cornerstone. You got that psalm quoted on both sides this section, Matthew 21 through 23. So I want you to understand from that something very, very important. If you don't get this, you might have missed the last few chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. I want you to understand something very, very important. This section of Scripture, Matthew 21 through 23, is not just Jesus rebuking a bunch of evil men. It is that. He does rebuke and correct a lot of bad men. But it's not merely that. But what we see in this section is something bigger, something that you don't need to miss. If you're really going to understand this passage, Jesus is bringing down a curse on Israel. A judgment is falling on Israel. Israel is about to enter in to what the Apostle Paul, if you go read Romans 9 through 11, and we'll go there uh, later on. Romans 9 through 11 uh, Paul the Apostle is reflecting on what happens to Israel, and they're about to enter into, through Jesus' pronouncement of judgment, they're entering into what Paul, in Romans 9-11, calls a blinding, a hardening, a partial hardening is happening in Israel. And that's the way he talks about it in Romans chapter 11. Well, that's coming down on Israel, and that's what we read about in Matthew 21-23. through Now, this has been referenced throughout the entire section, but I want to just give you a few examples to remind you. So Matthew 21 through 23, not just Jesus rebuking bad men, but Jesus bringing down a curse on Israel. And I want you to see some examples of why you should understand it that way. Do you remember the cursing of the fig tree? When he first enters into this city, it enters into Jerusalem, Matthew 21 Verse 18 and 19, Jesus curses the fig tree, may fruit never come from you again. And Israel is that fig tree that is being cursed. If you remember the parables that Jesus spoke to the as he, as he had this conflict with the Pharisees and scribes and the leaders of the Jewish people. As he had this conflict, he kept giving these parables that referenced a vineyard. And you remember how clearly those parables pointed back to the vineyard of Isaiah chapter 5. You remember you go read Isaiah 5 and there's all these parallels that you got a parable about a vineyard, which represents Israel. And then you've got in in Isaiah 5, these woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, just like Jesus did in Matthew 23. We read that last week. You've got these parallels. So what happened in Isaiah, what was pronounced in Isaiah 5, Jesus is about to bring it down on the vineyard. And what do we see in Isaiah 5, verse 10 and 11? He says he's about to lay waste to the vineyard. And the vineyard is the people of Israel. If you remember the parable of the tenants, this is again in Matthew chapter 21. That there's this patience of, of a messenger was sent and they killed him. And another messenger was sent and they and they beat him down. And another messenger was sent. These were the prophets that been sent to Israel again and again and again. But when he sends the son... And they murder the son. The patience is over. The patience is over. And the judgment comes. Matthew chapter 21 verse 43. Coming off the backside of that parable. It says it like this. Just Listen to this carefully. Therefore I tell you. The kingdom of God. Will be taken away from you. And given to a people. Producing its fruits. That's happening in Matthew 21 through, 21 through 23. The kingdom of God is being ripped from you, Israel. It's going to be given to a people that will bear its fruits. The judgment's falling. Matthew 23, we got those seven woes, which is that formal pronouncement of the curse. The curse is being declared. In that final woe, the seventh woe in Matthew 23, what did we see? It becomes really clear That this is not just a rebuke of the leaders of Israel, but this is broadened out to the people of Israel. Look at Matthew 23, verse 35. So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel, which takes you to the beginning of the. Hebrew Old Testament, to the blood of Zechariah, which takes you to Second Chronicles, the end of that Hebrew Old Testament. It's all coming down on you, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And what are the next words? Who's being addressed in our passage today? Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. The holy city is being addressed as a representation of the people of Israel. This is a judgment fallen on the nation. The sins from Abel to Zechariah, from the murder, from the murder of Abel to the murder of Zechariah, the sins all the way through, and the judgment's fallen on Israel. They're about to murder the son. So, in summary, what's what's happening in Matthew 21 through 23 is bigger than just Jesus rebuking bad men. This is a curse on the nation. This is judgment falling on Israel. And our passage today at the end of Matthew 23 is Jesus' final address to them. It's like the climax of Jesus' ministry towards Israel. And the final words we see there, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, to the end of chapter 23. Now, what exactly is said here? With that context in mind, let's read verse 37 through 39 again. Look at it. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes. In the name of the Lord. What do we see here in this final address to Israel? We see Jesus' tenderness and compassion towards rebellious people. And don't miss that. Some of the last words that we have. If you think about that, again, that, that Hebrew, um, the, the Old Testament that these people would have had. Jesus' Old Testament, the Old Testament of the Hebrews. Some of the last words that they would have read in their Old Testament... Would have been these words in Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-six, last chapter, Second Chronicles, and listen to this: Second Chronicles thirty-six. This is verse fifteen and sixteen. The Lord, imagine this: some of the last words that they read in their Old Testament. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by His messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. Do you hear the compassion of God there? He just sent messenger after messenger after messenger. Why? Because he had compassion on his people. And here we are. The messengers have been sent. And now we're on the verge of the son has been sent. The final messenger has been sent to Israel. The son of God has been sent. The Messiah has come. And they're on the verge of murdering the final messenger. And yet what do we see Jesus saying even to the very end of his address to them? What do we see right here? How often... You're the city. This is the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. That's who you are. But listen, how often listen to the compassion, listen to the tenderness. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. What an image there. I'd have been like a mother hen to you. I'd have been like a, mother, I'd have got, like a mother hen gathering up her chickens under her under her wings to protect them. I would have done that for you. I would have protected you like that. The compassion, the mercy, the love pouring out here to the very end. Don't miss that. Paul the Apostle said something like this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. He says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother. It's not a hen, but a nursing mother taking care of her own children. that's what I was like among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Jesus said, I I, I was so willing, so ready to save, so ready to be like that towards you. This compassion to the rebellious that we see in Jesus, and that's what this is, compassion to the undeserving, compassion to the hard hearts, compassion to the rebellious. And that compassion in, in Christ towards the rebellious is our only hope for salvation. You know that, right? Because when it's all said and done, every single one of us stand as rebels against God that deserve his wrath, that broke, we've broken his law. We've been haters of God, and if he sends us to hell, it's exactly what we deserve. And yet God has shown mercy and compassion to the rebellious. When we were weak, Christ died not for the godly. Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the rebellious. His compassion for the rebellious is seen here, and it's seen most vividly in what he's about to do when he goes to the cross. So Jesus stands ready to save. He holds out his hands all day long. Oh, how often I would have gathered you up. Oh, how often I'd have been like a a hen gathering up her. Oh, how often. And then it says here in our verse, but you were not willing. And you were not willing. What a sad phrase. And so we also see here Jesus' judgment and the judgment on them being finalized, his final words to them. Verse 38, verse 39. Look at verse 38. See, your house is left to you desolate. Now I want you to think about how this section started. This section started with Jesus entering into his temple, cleansing that temple, and saying, My house should be, be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. My house. He says as he enters in and what does he say as he takes an exit he says your house is now left to you desolate my house and now it's your house it's been left left to you desolate desolate means empty the temple is empty the temple is now forsaken it's been abandoned now this is a huge thing to say you imagine how significant how massively significant the temple and the holy city was to the jewish people this is everything to them and he says your house has left you desolate it's empty it's abandoned this would have been a shocking thing in fact when we get to chapter 24 we Probably the disciples are pretty shocked, right? And we see them look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you see all these? They're still talking about all these stones. Look how beautiful all these stones are in these buildings, in this city, in this temple. It's like they're shocked that Jesus would say something. Your house has left you desolate? Now, why is it left desolate? Look at verse 39. Why is it left desolate? For I tell you, four. so there it is. Your house has left you desolate, verse 39, four. Here's why. Why is it empty? Why is it forsaken? For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord. So why is it not That's So Jesus says, because I'm not here. God has left the building. The king has ripped the kingdom out from under your feet and, and is going to give it to a people that will bear its fruits. This is Ichabod, as it says in the Old Testament. The glory of God has departed your house has left to you desolate. say, why? You won't see me again. You won't see me again. Now, chapter 24. With all this in mind, look at what he does in chapter 24. Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple... But he answered them. You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another. It will not be thrown down. So what do we see here in chapter 24, verse 1 and 2? Jesus isn't just talking, but he's actually acting on his words. He physically abandons the temple. In verse 1. And then he's going to give a prophecy of the destruction of that temple coming soon. He physically abandons the temple. you got two verbs here for emphasis. It says Jesus left the temple. That's one. And was going away. That's two. That's meant for emphasis here. This is not just a fact. It's not just a fact that he's leaving. It's a visual representation. He's turning his back on the people. He's turning his back on Israel. He's turning his back on this temple. It's left desolate. It's a visual representation. The disciples of Jesus aren't fully grasping it. They're still pointing at the building that he's turned his back on. Jesus, look, look how beautiful. Look how amazing. Look at the temple. Look at the buildings of the temple. They're still pointing at it. Jesus has turned away from it. They're not grasping the gravity of this moment. And so Jesus gives them a prophecy. He starts that prophecy in verse two with truly, I say to you, you know, that little formula he uses over and over again. Truly, I say to you means listen up hear What I'm saying right now, your attention's on the temple. I've abandoned it. Listen, listen up. Truly, I say to you. And Jesus tells him that these buildings, including this temple, is going to be flattened. Not one stone left upon another. It's going to be demolished. If there was anybody in the crowd that still had this sort, of, this sort of hope that maybe Jesus is the one that'll lead out a national uprising and take over Rome, where all their hopes just got squashed, Jesus said, No, no. he said, the temple, you see these buildings? It's all coming down. It's going to be demolished, it's going to be destroyed. He prophesied that. Now, the fulfillment of that prophecy happens not too long after Jesus' death and resurrection. It happens in 70 A.D. In 70 A.D. It's where the Romans under Titus, they would eventually demolish the hope of Israel. They laid siege to different cities of the people of Israel, including the city of Jerusalem, and eventually burned that temple and laid it all to the ground. And exactly what Jesus said, what he prophesied, came about. Came to be. Has he said it and will he not do it? Has he purposed it and will he not bring it to pass? He always fulfills his word. And he fulfilled his word here. Now please, like light like the disciples pointing at the temple, don't miss the don't miss the gravity, the, the the seriousness of this whole situation. What Jesus has just said, his actions of turning away. His prophecy of the temple coming down and the city coming down. Don't miss the the gravity of this situation. Israel is under the judgment of God. God's judgment has fallen. The fig tree, which is Israel, has been cursed. The vineyard has been abandoned and left as a waste. The kingdom has been ripped from them and given to another. If you think about Paul's reflection, I told you this earlier. Romans chapter 9 through 11 Paul reflects in those chapters Romans 9 through 11 of what happens to Israel right here in what we're reading and let me just give you a taste of that and we'll look at it more in just a moment Romans chapter 11 you can go and flip there don't miss the gravity try to get yourself this is this is a Jew named Paul that understands what happened to Israel Try to get yourself into his Jewish mind as he thinks about what happened. And look at Romans chapter 11, and we'll just read verse 7 through 10 for now. Romans chapter 11, verse 7. Think about what's happened to Israel in our passage in Matthew. Verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. And he's just been talking about a small remnant out of Israel. The elect out of Israel that would be saved. That small remnant. The elect obtained it. But the rest were hardened. This is what's happening in our passage. When that proclamation, your house is left to you desolate. The temple is coming down. Not one stone left upon another. The rest were hardened. This is a hardening of Israel. Look at the verse quoted. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that would not see. This is Israel being blinded. Many commentators have called this a judicial blinding of Israel. And ears that would not hear. They're being made deaf. Down to this very day. And David says. Let their table become a snare and a trap. A stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened. That's blindness. So that they cannot see. And bend their backs forever. How does Paul view what's happening in the passage we're in in Matthew? A hardening has come. A blindness on Israel. So that they cannot see. It's the judgment and the curse of God. Now. Quick review, and I want to do something to try to help us see some parallels between our passage in Matthew and Romans chapter 9 through 11. So quick review, Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, through chapter 24, verse 2, judgment has fallen on Israel. And as I've referenced several times, Romans 9 through 11, Paul the Apostle is reflecting back on what happened to his nation. He's an Israelite. And what happened to his nation. And so I want to highlight three points now. That we can see both in our passage in Matthew. Clearly. And you can see clearly in Paul's reflection of that. In Romans 9 through 11. I just want to highlight three points. And hope that our souls would be encouraged from. Number one. Is compassion to the hardened. Compassion to the hardened. So again. If you read Romans 11, verse 7, he says what happened to Israel was a hardening. If you read Romans 11, verse 25, he calls it a partial hardening because not everybody in Israel was hardened. But there was a remnant like Paul, like Peter, like John. They were saved. So partial hardening has fallen, as it says in Romans eleven twenty five 25, on Israel. And so think about Matthew 23, our passage. These people are so hard-hearted to Jesus, you can see it. Jesus says it. You were unwilling. I would have gathered you up, but you were unwilling. They're so hard to Jesus. And they're about to be hardened further as a judgment. And yet, and yet, what did we see in Jesus, right? What did we see? How to gathered you up. I mean, there, there's not more affectionate words coming from the mouth of Jesus in all the New Testament. I would have gathered you up like a, like a you see the compassion, like a hen with its brood on its wing. That's what I would have done for you. Is compassion to the hardened. The mercy of God towards them is clear. God did not automatically rip the gospel from them, but you read the book of Acts, and the gospel is still being proclaimed to these hardened people, these people under the judgment of God. The gospel is still being proclaimed to them. A remnant is being saved. Souls are being saved. God is so merciful to them. Christ is so compassionate even to the hardened Yet the nation as a whole never accepted Jesus as their Messiah. And we're called, and this is, what, this is my first, first thing I want to highlight, we're called to imitate Jesus in his compassion towards the hardened. And one reason I say that is because we should imitate Jesus in all of his ways of compassion and love, right? But I say that from Romans 9 through 11 because that's exactly what Paul did. Go to Romans chapter 9 verse 1. Paul imitated Jesus in his compassion towards the hardened. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Try to feel his compassion here. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears, bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. What's making him so sorrowful? What's, what's producing this unceasing anguish that's in his heart that he's expressing? What's producing that? Look at it. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They're Israelites. And he goes on to describe them. Do You see the compassion? He knows that they're hard hearted. He's been one of them. He knows that they've come under this hardening, this partial hardening. He knows that he's, he's, oh, I've got this unceasing anguish. I've got this sorrow in my soul. I wish I could be cut off for the sake of their salvation. There's compassion for the hardened. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, talking about Israel, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Longing for salvation. How often I would have gathered you up like a hen her brood under a wing. I want them to be saved. It's my heart's desire. I'm praying for it. It's compassion towards the hardened. And brothers and sisters, we need to imitate this like Paul imitated Christ. Imitate Paul as Paul imitates Christ. Do you know any hardened sinners? Maybe you don't know any Jews that are right now under that partial hardening. Maybe you do. But do you know people that just seem so hardened to the gospel of Jesus? And they're so hardened to you because you represent Christ to them. Do you know anybody like that? Have you written these people off? Have you stopped praying for them? Have you stopped sharing the gospel with them? Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Imitate Jesus. Imitate Paul. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her broods under her wings. Oh, I have unceasing anguish in my soul. Those hardened sinners, they seem so far away from them. I want them to be saved. It's my heart's desire. It's my prayer. Have you lost that? Don't lose that toward them. Who's the hardened sinner that comes to your mind? Be full of compassion like Christ, like Paul. The greatest soul winners are those who have this compassion towards the hardened. Second thing I want to highlight here is Israel's rejection means mercy to the nations. Now think about that for a minute. Israel's rejection which is what Romans eleven fifteen calls what's happened to Israel. They've come under a rejection, a hardening, of rejection. Israel's rejection means mercy to the nations. Now, if you look at Romans eleven twenty five, it calls this a mystery. It says this is a mystery. You read Romans eleven thirty three through thirty six. He says, "Oh man, the riches and the wisdom of God. How how far of His ways past our understanding? Man, this is a." This is a mystery. Israel's failure, again, something that it calls it in Romans 11. Israel's failure means riches for the nations. Israel's failure produces reconciliation for the Gentile nations. God, in his mysterious wisdom, has taken that fruitless vineyard. And even in judgment made it to bear fruit into the nations. This is sovereign control over all things. Israel's rejection means mercy to the nations. I want to think about that for a minute. Look at it in verse chapter 11. So Romans 11. Look at verse 11 and 12. So I ask. Did they stumble? That's talking about Israel. Did Israel stumble? Did they stumble in order that they might fall? When Israel fell, when they rejected their Messiah and they come under the curse of God, when that happened, why did they do that just so they might fall? Is that the only point? Is that the end of it? And he says, by no means. Rather, through their trespass, Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Don't miss that. Through Israel's trespass, salvation has come to the Gentile nations so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, isn't that beautiful? What happened to Israel, the rejection of Israel, means riches for the world. Oh, it's a mystery. Don't ask me to explain it too deeply. It's a mystery. Listen to the next phrase. And if their failure means riches for the Gentiles. Do you see that connection? Israel's rejection means mercy to the nations. Look at verse 15. For if their rejection, that's Israel's rejection. If their rejection means reconciliation of the world. So we're reading Matthew 23. We're going, man, God's bringing down the curse. He's bringing down the judgment. What's going on here? And God in his sovereign goodness and grace is saying even in that means riches for the world. Means gospel to the nations. This is a reminder to us that Israel rejecting their Messiah does not mean God's word has failed. Israel rejecting their Messiah does not mean God's word has failed. In fact, that's the exact question that Paul asked in Romans 9, verse 4 through 6. Look at it. Look at Romans 9, verse 4. Look at it. Look at it here. They are Israelites. Talk about Israel. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law. The worship and the promises to them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. So he's talking about Israel. And then look at verse six. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. Israel rejected their Messiah. Does it mean the word of God has failed? He says, it's not as though the word of God has failed. And he goes on to make it really plain that there's a true Israel that, involves, that, that includes that remnant saved from Israel and remnants from every nation, tribe, and tongue, which is the true Israel of God. It's not as if the word of God has failed. The plan has always been about the nations. It's never just been about Israel. It's not it's not as they rejected their Messiah and they come under judgment, God's using that and it means riches for the gentiles. That's always been the plan. You can go back to Abraham. The first promise to Abraham about a Messiah coming was that a Messiah was coming to bless all nations. In Genesis chapter 12. So Israel has rejected her Messiah. They murdered the son. Not just the messengers, they murdered the son and they entered into a curse. But this is the ultimate example of what you meant for evil. God meant it for good. To bring it about this day to save many people alive. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. You rejected the Messiah. You come under the curse. God meant it for good. It means riches for the world. It's a mystery. They crucify the Christ, their Messiah sent to them. And through the death of Jesus Christ, the payment is paid. The blood is shed and the payment is paid for the sins of a bride from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Now, Jesus is going to go on to refer to this. So so that's Romans 9 through 11. Back in our passage, Jesus is going to refer to this. Let me just say it quickly. We'll get into it some next week, but the judgment has fallen on Israel. He's turned his back on the temple. He's he's prophesied that the temple's coming down and the city's going to be flattened. And then he begins to talk. And what does he say in Matthew twenty-four? As you keep reading, one of the first things he says is, "This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all the nations." And then the end will come. The judgment on Israel means riches for the Gentile nations. And I pray as we meditate on that, as far as application goes, I pray that that will light a fire in us to be a church for the nations. We're part of the fruit of that, right? We're part of those Gentiles that God has saved and is saving. I pray that this will light a fire in us to be a church for the nations. What is the reward of Israel's Hardening and Jesus's suffering What's the reward. It's an all nations reward, and there ought to be a fire in our soul to see that go out. This is the reward. This is what the the vineyard that's been cursed and they they crucified the Messiah. This is the reward, all nations broad. Man, ought to fire ourselves. You remember the? It reminds me of the phrase. From the, the, the famous missionary crew, the Moravians from the 1700s. You remember their famous little quote? May the lamb that was slain, may the lamb that was slain receive the full reward of his suffering. May let that be in our prayers. All nations, to all nations, let your gospel go. Save your people out of every nation, tribe, and tongue. This is the reward. May the lamb that was slain receive the full reward of his suffering. And those Moravians are saying that as they're risking their lives, going to unreached people groups. Man, let us be like them in our prayers, in our going to the nations, and being a church that sends people to the nations. May we be like them. The failure of Israel. The rejection of Israel means riches for the nations. And we get to go extend that out as we extend the gospel out to people that don't know Christ. Now, third, last thing I want to highlight here is that the Jewish people will receive mercy again. The Jewish people will receive mercy again at some point when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in it's a phrase from Romans 11 at some point when the fullness of the Gentiles have come in there will be an awakening of the Jewish nation to love and adore and accept the Messiah that they've rejected for for centuries it's a glorious thought right it's a glorious thought how do we know that? How do we know that? Now, in Romans 11, so if you're not there, be there Romans 11. In Romans 11, I want to show you, how do, how do we know that's coming? That Israel will receive mercy again. And in Romans 11, there's three hints and a promise. So three hints and a promise. Hint number one. Look at Romans eleven twelve. 12. Now, if they're trespassed, Means riches for the world, just talked about that. And if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, just talked about that, how much more will their full inclusion mean? That's hint number one. How much more will Israel's full inclusion mean? Hint number two, look at verse 15. For if their rejection, Israel's rejection, Means the reconciliation of the world. This what's happening now. Is the gospel reconciliation is going out. And people from every nation, tribe, and tongue are being reconciled. If their rejection means that reconciliation. Look at the next phrase. What would their acceptance mean? But life from the dead. Something glorious. What about their full inclusion? Their acceptance. It'll be like life from the dead. It'll be glorious. That's hint number one. Hint number two hit number three. Look at verse 23. Now remember this is right at the end of the section where it says there's like this tree and Israel their judgment is like branches being ripped off that tree. They're like their branches that have been ripped off and then us Gentiles are like these other branches being grafted in being grafted into that tree. And look at what he says in verse 23 and 24. And even they, speaking about Israel, even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut, Gentiles, hey Gentiles, if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches, Israel, be grafted back into their own olive tree? That's hand number three. And then here comes the promise. It's a glorious thought, right? And nation, mercy being shown to that nation again, them accepting their Messiah, loving their Messiah. Look, look at verse 25 and 26 for the promise. We'll read to verse 27 actually. Look at it. Lest you be wise in your own sight, Gentiles. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. Partial because many were saved, many have been saved, but for the most part, the nation itself has rejected its Messiah for centuries. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the hardening will be, will be released. The partial hardening will be released Verse 26, here's the promise. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. All Israel will be saved. Obviously, and I mean it, obviously not meaning Every single Israelite is saved. We literally have Jesus in Matthew 23 speaking to Israelites that he says are going to go to hell. But just like the curse that fell on Israel doesn't mean every single Israelite cannot be saved. Peter was saved. Paul was saved. John was saved. James was saved. Right? Right? In the same way, when the awakening comes and the full inclusion comes and all Israel will be saved. Not that every single Israelite will be, but man, there's going to be an awakening of these people accepting their Messiah. Calling him Lord. The Jewish people receive mercy again. If you go down just a little bit. Verse 31 So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, excuse me, pause, go back to verse 30. Verse 30. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So, Gentiles, you've received mercy because of Israel's disobedience. Verse thirty-one. So they too, Israelites, they too have now been disobedient. In order that they, that by the mercy shown to you, they also may may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that He may have mercy on all. The Jewish people will receive mercy again. And this is an exciting thing. I I hope that when you think about that, you think about that future reality that your heart sings. Uh, That hymn that we love to sing, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, praise God. (laughs) What a Savior. Think about this. We really do. Everybody here, you need to get get out of your little bubble and what's going on in your little life and think about the massive things that God's doing in this world. Jew and Gentile deserve to go to hell and that's all they deserve from God. And yet God sends Christ to die for sinners, to take our wrath, rise from the dead and he begins saving a remnant whoa man hallelujah what a savior he starts saving a remnant out of a cursed people and then he begins penetrating all nations with his gospel saving souls out of every nation tribe and tongue and then one day he's going to awaken the nation man hallelujah what a savior look at what he's doing this is glorious stuff I want to close. I want to close by reading something to you. The excitement I want you to, the excitement I want you to feel over our God is a savior. Revealed even in the judgment that He's poured out on Israel. Our God is a Savior. I, I want to read something to you. It's, this may be an example of that. This is uh, now I think most people love to hear John Piper's excitement over God's word. Most of you like that. And I want this to be contagious to you. I want to read something to you. that This is something that John Piper wrote in an article called Pray for Israel. The article is called Pray for Israel. And he's calling us to pray like Paul does in Romans chapter 10 verse 1. When he said, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is that they, Israel, might be saved. He's calling us to pray for them in this article I want you to think about our passage today as I get ready to read this. Our passage today, Matthew 23, is about a veil, a veil being put on Israel's eyes, a judgment, a curse, a veil being put over their eyes. And here's Piper's exhortation. The day will come when God lifts the veil from the eyes of Israel and they will see Jesus as their Messiah and believe and be saved pray with me that the fullness of the gentiles would come in that the day of hardening would end and that the headlines in tel aviv would read thousands of jewish people turning to jesus let's take that call and pray Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you God for hearing us. Hallelujah, what a savior. Lord, there's none like you. There's no there is none there is no one else to save. No one else can can be a savior like you. You and you alone. Our great savior. And we give you praise, Lord. God, I do pray that the fullness of the Gentiles would come in, God, that your gospel would go out to all nations, that souls would be saved, that your kingdom would advance, your church would be built in every nation, tribe, and tongue. God, do it for the glory of your namesake. And, Lord, in your mercy, in your goodness, let us be a part of it. Make us zealous for this, God. Make Make us passionate, Lord, about your gospel going out, And the lamb that was slain receiving the full reward of his suffering. Make us passionate about it, Lord. God, I pray for the end of the hardening of Israel, God. And that many, Lord, that have been under this partial hardening would bow down finally to you as Lord. To you as their God and their Savior. Do that mighty work, Lord. Thank you for your compassion to the rebellious, the rebellious like us, Lord. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to imitate that. That we would be those that are full of compassion towards the hard, the hard-hearted and the rebellious, Lord. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew 23. just before we sing. Matthew 23. Look at verse 39. The stuff we're talking about, about God awakening, bringing about an awakening among the Jewish people. Look at verse 39. Jesus says, for I tell you, You, and this is in the middle of the judgment on Israel, the curse on Israel. You will not see me again until what? Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful thought to think about? The ones that said it when he came into the city. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet rejected their Messiah and murdered him. One day is coming where they're going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the partial hardening will be ended. It's a beautiful thought. Let's sing.